Hey everyone, happy to have you here for another episode of Legacy Matters. Today, as usual, we will talk about whatever comes up with a slight leaning toward discussions of preserving your legacy, preparing for things to come, and sharing stories we find amusing. Okay, here we are. Welcome to Legacy Matters. Yep. Welcome, thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I'll quit giving you a hard time. Over I know. I, I've been good about it the last couple of shows, actually. It just makes sense. I can't. I love it. So, yeah. No, I love right. it. Uh, so, Sarah is once again, she's uh, finishing up vacation slash wine country slash being sick. So. Yes. So, all of the above right now for yeah. Anderson. Yeah. Poor Sarah. Yep, not feeling so well. Aww. But too much wine country, that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Aww. Oh, well. Anyways, here we are. Uh, it is December. It is the week before Christmas. That sounds right to me. Yeah. I won't argue. Yep, it is. I mean, I pulled it together on that one. I barely remember, but yes, <laughs> it is. Uh, you know, it's nice out today. Weather's, you know, it's classic it was kind of sunny earlier now it's now it well now it's a little bit later in the afternoon so it's starting I to still become see blue sky out there yeah blue sky but it's starting to you know it's four o'clock oh so it's, it's 420 so the sun four, went down it's oh, gone it's 420 you know that all the kids think that i something. know what 420 means right okay i'm young enough all right it's, it doesn't actually mean <laughs> anyway it's fine <laughs> <laughs> whatever all right smoke it jim you gotta do it no, uh no. no but what what 420 actually means in minnesota this time of year is that you're about four minutes away from it being dark yeah you know that's yeah that's the sad part of uh 420 I mean, it's in the afternoon like alaska in minnesota. i know right these are short days uh-huh this is when i start to get depressed yeah well well Today might be might oh, be a cure for depression you, sits right. in front of me. Exactly. So you turn that frown upside down. Ah, the classic, classic. Uh, I'm going to assume this is sort of Norwegian stuff here. All right, let's uh, introduce our guest. We, we are going to, but the uh, classic cure for, for wintertime depression is uh, sitting right in front of us here because we have from Far North Spirits, Michael Swanson on the show. Hi, Michael. Hello. Thanks for coming in. The 420 discussion is hilarious. I used to live in Colorado, so oh, yeah. oh, okay. 420 doesn't mean almost dark to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So you mean you're not just from Halleck? <laughs> uh, Colorado. Where'd you live in Colorado? I lived in Vail for four years after after college. Oh, yeah. I was okay. a ski bum. Fancy. So, yeah. Fancy. That's... Ski bum and now distillery. I know. Mm-hmm. Probably okay. a life so, I- so you've got the life that I've always wanted. <laughs> it keeps getting better. Whiskey farmer. Yeah. Where did you go to college? Uh, Concordia, Moorhead. Okay. Good Lutheran school up there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good old, uh, well, we've had this history with Concordia because mm-hmm. we had a professor from a different branch of the Concordia. Mm. So that's, that who's from Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And and here the whole time I was thinking, oh, you're part of Concordia. You know, same thing. He's like, no, totally different. Completely. But anyway, uh, Dr. Troval. That's right. All right. Anyway. Well, uh, yeah, so, so. So here we are in Minnesota. Michael, and Mike. we have Mike. So let's hear far north, huh? Mm-hmm. How did this come about? <laughs> <laughs> Long, circuitous route. Um <laughs> Basically, what happened is my wife Sherry and I were 
living here in St. Paul. And we had decided that we did not really, weren't really enjoying what we were doing mm-hmm. for a living. And we thought, you know, do we really want to be doing the same thing in 25 years? And the answer was a resounding no. And so then we thought, you know, we need a five-year plan. And what do we, what do we want? How do we want to live? And that was the, the big question was, how do we want to live? And we thought we want to live more seasonally. We'd like to live more simply because we thought this would be simpler. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, not so much, but, um, but we wanted to live more intentionally Yeah. instead of just, you know, allowing things to happen to us. We wanted to live more intentionally. And since moving back to Minnesota in 2003, we'd been up to my parents' farm, uh, my family farm to, to visit several times a year. And after a few years of doing that, we decided, you know, we kind of like it up here. We didn't expect that. And because when I left after, when I left to go to college, I, I didn't think, I didn't think I'd live in the Midwest again, much less uh, back in Halleck. And uh, we'd been talking about what we wanted to do. And my dad had started to talk about retiring and farmers will do that for 10 to 15 years and then never do it. They never, they never retire that my grandfather was in his eighties and he was still driving out to the farm from assisted living (laughs) to check in and point at things in the shop. And, um, and so we thought, well, maybe we should do something with the farm. And we talked about that and buddies of mine from high school had scaled up acreage and, you know, ran big farms and it's very stressful because you can't control the price. And you're dealing with the weather and all that sort of thing. And I was in business school at St. Thomas at the time, and I was thinking about, wouldn't it be great to make a finished product out of something you grow on the farm? And I didn't know what that would be. So I was working on an assignment uh, for a class I was taking. It was an entrepreneurship class. And I was having a little glass of a study buddy. You know, right. While I was thinking about Study this, buddy. You know? <laughs> and... Uh, and then I just had one of those facepalm moments where you're just like, wait a minute, I know what you make out of grain. And to this day, I've never had an idea that just popped into my head fully formed, but this was really close. And, uh, and so I wrote up this mini business plan for a rye whiskey distillery, and I turned it in, and I thought, well, that was, that was fun to write, but I don't know how realistic this is. I like right. to drink whiskey. I don't know how to make it. And, and so then I turned it in and I thought, well, that was fun, but I thought it's probably as far as this is going to go. And then that evening I got an email from my professor, um, and she said, you got to do this. And she said, this fits you. It's a good, from what I've read, it's good timing. This is a good plan. Sign me up for a case of the first batch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so I thought, well, shit, I better take this a little more seriously. Right. And so I read and researched for the better part of uh, two years. And then um, we watched this, Sherry and I watched this YouTube video. And it was uh, a guy named Yuli Gegenschatz. And he was this Austrian um, skydiver. And he was flying he was doing a ted talk about wingsuit flying and he was flying there was this video of him flying a wingsuit in the alps and it was set to a song from m83 and it was just spectacular 
And I had this overwhelming sense of life is way too short to put things on hold. Right? From, a, from a wingsuit video? Yeah, to yeah. Be, because you're thinking like, he's just doing it and maybe he'll die or and he's he, doing... And, and he did. He uh, did die? He, he did. He died base jumping a few years later. Yeah. Holy you know, shit. One, of my, uh, one of my camp family kids died in the, I think, in the Swiss Alps as a yeah. wingsuit jumper as well. Well, this was just this was just a stunning video, and it's it's beautiful to watch, and 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 I remember thinking, you know, it, it doesn't matter. That guy lived more on that day than most people do in their entire lives, and so, which is one way of looking at it. Yeah. I look at it like that guy crapped his pants more in one day than I. Than I, I look at it like, wow, he's really. Well, I mean, never mind. I mean, he, it just scared it would tear. I'd be that guy's insane. Yeah. That is what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. But I remember watching that and thinking, yeah, this it's life's too short. You gotta you gotta pull the trigger on this. That is and true. So, I believe that that yeah, same I do thing too. Can be true all yeah. the time. No yeah, it's what. a dramatic example, but that was really what triggered the whole thing. And so in 2012, I was able to quit my job and start planning the place full time. And we moved up back up to Halleck in 2013 and built the distillery and started distilling in November of that year. And um, away we went. Awesome. Well, I uh, I hate to interrupt this. Yeah. I, I'm going to make a little break that that will hardly be noticeable here. But we're, I'm getting some sort of feedback. Yeah, so am I. Something. So, is it coming from me or? I think so, but I'll, I'll just we'll be right back. Okay. All right. So. So 2013, you started this. Uh, you started building it, or you started distilling. We built it. We broke ground that in like Memorial Day okay. of 2013 and we got the building built and everything installed by late October and it was a steel building so it went up fast. Yeah. yeah Is it like and a so pole barn type thing? It looks like a farm shop. Okay. Yeah. When, when yeah. People, it's, always, it's always fun to see people because our, our cocktail room is very elegant modern Scandinavian design uh-huh. and when people walk in it's always interesting. I wish I could see like a, a little talk balloon about what they were expecting when they drove up. Sure, because this is Halleck. Right. Right. And so I, I'm not sure what they were picturing. Something in the back of a barn, maybe, or... Right. Uh-huh. You never really know. Yeah. Right. And they walk in, and they have this look on their face like, oh, this is, this, this is nice. <laughs> this is lovely. <laughs> I say that not, not to poke fun at Halleck. And it's so Halleck. clean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that, that, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started... Um, most people don't know that part of the state well, and, mm-hmm. and there are very few reasons to ever find yourself up there, unless. <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. it very well. It. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty darn. It's a. It's remote in the sense that it's a corner of the state that, like, there are no roads that mm-hmm. you would take to get. I mean, unless you're going to Winnipeg mm-hmm. for some sure. reason. And That's why are you ever going it. to Winnipeg? <laughs> <laughs> now, granted, I've been. I spent a lot of my life uh, in northern Minnesota, and driving through Winnipeg, mm-hmm. guiding canoe trips and stuff. So I, okay. I've been through that area a bit, but you still, you never find yourself in Halleck. So, so you guys, you guys move up there. Mm-hmm. You build this. Yep. You, are you, you know, you just, you and your wife just said, we're going for it. So we're yep. going to, you know. Well, and Sherry's, that Sherry's been... from Halleck as well. Okay. So, All right. that and it was still yeah. a little bit of culture shock. Sure. Because um, we'd been, <laughs> I, you know, I'd been living out West for several yep. years. Sherry had been living down here in Twin Cities. And so, Going back was interesting, right? Um, and but we were both from there. Yeah, so I got to pull that, that part really helps. 
You know, I mean, it's it's farm country. It's not lake country, so people don't know it as well. Right. Right. But, um, yeah, like you said, unless you're on your way to Winnipeg, you know. And when and I was even a kid, then, we spent a lot of time in Winnipeg. Cause yeah, because that's by far the, the closest, closest big city. Yeah. But I had to ask you, so you were out in Colorado. Your wife was in St. Paul. Did you guys mm-hmm. meet because you had known each other previously, or did you meet and figure out you were from the same city. We actually... <laughs> small town, I should say. <laughs> we actually met on a plane um, between Minneapolis and Grand Forks. At what age? So this was in 2000. Okay. Um, yeah. So so well after graduation from high school. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, we were a few years apart in school. Did you know... I mean, because I know that those small communities, you kind of you know, know I mean, you know of each other. I was a few yeah. years younger, so... Yep. I knew who she was. Okay. Um, but Did you sit next to her on the plane? So this is what happened. So I was living in Denver. Yeah. And I... And you were doing what in Dem- Denver? I was a pharmaceutical rep. Oh, and, okay. And uh, yeah, I was in healthcare before okay. I was in... Of course. Why corporate. wouldn't you be? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I worked in healthcare long enough to decide I didn't want to be a doctor anymore. Yeah. Basically okay. What but um, so I was a pharmaceutical rep in Denver. And I was flying home for Christmas, and I got out to the airport. I had missed my flight, so I couldn't get a flight until the following day. So then the next day was Saturday, and so I I got out there. There was a mechanical issue with the plane, so I missed my connection to Minneapolis. So I had a long layover, got to Minneapolis, had this long layover in Minneapolis, and then got on the plane to fly up to Grand Forks. And I walked on the plane, and I looked down in a small plane, right? And I looked down, and I was like... I think things are looking up. Because <laughs> right. all I saw, please let me be in twelve B. Well, all I saw was there was a cute blonde in my room. Yeah, yeah. And then I got closer, and I was like, "Oh my God, that's Sherry from Halleck. And yeah. I immediately turn into a seventh grader again. Yeah. yeah. And I'm talking to myself like I'm walking down the aisle, like, "Okay, just be cool. Just be cool. Don't say anything stupid. Don't say anything stupid." And. And she looked up, and she kind of recognized me, too. And we started talking, and then we had our first date on Christmas Day. Um, so That's funny. Yeah, we, she, were, we were seated next to each other on that flight. She being a woman and, and much more, uh, not, not just age-wise, but just more mature than you, she was like... Oh shit! Here comes Mike. <laughs> probably right? she's never admitted to that. This probably. is like this is like you, you go know. all you go all gummy and weird. And she's like, oh god, like, oh god, this guy. <laughs> well, I see a movie in all of this. I mean, this is how now and and then you guys like decide to. I mean, that brings a full circle here. To oh. What you're doing, you know? I mean, this is yeah, it's pretty serendipitous. Is, so yeah, I mean, but we when we decided to do this to the, the distillery, I mean, we. We jumped in, yeah. on eyeball deep, and you kind of have to in business. You kind of have to, so yeah. I think you know, the case. you really got to commit to it. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, that's that was six years ago now. So, so only six years, and I like yeah, that's not very long. You got one of the. I'm just gonna say, you got one of the nicer looking bottles on the shelf. Well, thank you. Oh my gosh, that's what I was gonna say too. I yeah. mean, the whole you guys I mean, when you look at this, and also your website, everything, the whole packaging of this is it's is all beautiful, your wife, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I I mean this is really take nice. A look this. Take a look this guys, is... I'm not in charge of aesthetics, okay? <laughs> it's a beautiful packaging, Thank I got to say, in in including the bottle design itself. Yeah, everything about you know? it. We also, we have a, a fabulous graphic designer 
of course um, slash brand cop and mm-hmm. we do yeah. too and she's not here right now yeah right her name's jenny stevens and she's here and she's in st paul okay and she's fantastic and uh is she for hire for other people she's a freelancer freelance but yeah. she has blue chip clients mm-hmm. and we're one of her small mm-hmm. uh, accounts and she uh, i think we're just fun for that's fantastic she's really got this she's really got a similar design aesthetic yeah. And so she and Sherry connected right away. So it's so important. Yep. So you start. So you go up there. You're building. You know, you built the building before you distilled, correct? Mm-hmm. So how many batches? Like, what's the process of this to find the right to to find your distinct taste? I yeah. Guess. Well, and the thing about distilling is it's illegal to practice until yeah. you have a permit. Right. It's not, well, unless you you're Sam you in the garage. Brew. Yeah. You yeah. can't you can been, you, sh- you can Mike, make you should go over to own. his garage. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't send people to but, my garage. But technically <laughs> technically it's illegal to distill at home yeah. without a permit, right? Yeah. And that's my oh, yeah, story sorry, I'm sticking to it. And um <laughs> and so when we started up, we I contacted a guy named Dave Picarell, um, who was a consultant. He was uh, fourteen years at Maker's Mark before okay. he became a consultant. So he was a pretty big deal in the whiskey world. And and he uh, he consulted on the equipment that we sourced. He consulted on the floor plan, and, the, and he had some preliminary mash bills. And he came up um, that fall in both October and November and kind of walked, walked me through some of the process yep. of the, the milling, the mashing, the fermenting, the distilling. Um, and then everything after that has been trial and error, learn as you go. Um, sometimes that's best. Well, I liken it to learning how to swim by being thrown out of a boat in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Is kind of what it's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, not a, not a great likelihood of you surviving that. <laughs> you <laughs> right. learn how to swim really fast yeah. or you don't. And, uh, but no, he was, he was a huge, a huge help. Um, and from there then you're just you're learning by doing and the quicker the better well we we abandoned uh kind of our design well we didn't abandon it we're still doing design build okay but entered for residential houses yeah yeah. okay entered into the tech world two years ago same thing for us kind of like well we might as well just jump right in then (laughs) yeah just (laughs) go for it yep yeah yeah uh so and you know sometimes i think that's if you're entrepreneurial minded that's some kind of the only entry yes yeah. so isn't when well, i was a bio and chem major in school yeah um oh. and so that helped yeah you've um, got a lot of skills that everything i told my chemistry professors i was never going to need to know i now have to know right. right um and i had done distillations before and you mm-hmm. know in chemistry lab but they this was concordia right you yep. don't get to distill anything fun um uh, right you don't get to ferment anything fun we made sauerkraut we didn't make beer yeah and so i hadn't done any of that before and so it was. It was a quick so, learning. Well, process. you learn sterility too. You, you learn how to keep. Things. You learn technique. Yeah. 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 So what's the process here? So you're, you're distilling this, and then are you? You know what? Is it a big batch, and you taste it, or are you making little pieces? So uh, and, and, it depends like, on what we're making. Like for yeah. whiskey, for example, mm-hmm. um, and we're a farm distillery, so the process starts by growing rye and corn. Okay. Right. So we, my dad and I, grow the rye and the corn. And then uh, you you mill the grain, mm-hmm. um, you grind it up um, before you put it in a, a mash cooker. So the milled grain mixes with hot water, 
and you make essentially 500 gallons of porridge, for lack of a better word. And that's the mash, yep. right? And so you add some enzymes to thin the viscosity of it because it gets thick. Uh, you bring the temperature down with cooling jackets to the point where you can add yeast. You add yeast, you transfer it to a fermentation vessel. And in the fermentation vessel, it sits for about four days, sometimes five. And what happens is the yeast consume the sugars that are produced during the, the cook. And they, the yeast produce essentially CO2 and alcohol. Right. And among other flavor compounds, both good and bad. And so during the fermentation, now it's commonly referred to as a wash. Mm. Brewers refer to it as wort, I think. They have different yeah, terminology. So, so brewers would take the wort out uh, immediately after heating. You, yep. you leave it with the mash. It I stays, leave all the grain in. The sta grain stays in for, yep. for that four or five days? Yep. Okay. So we ferment on the grain, and then it's transferred to the still. And that's 500-gallon big copper vessel uh, with a column on top. And you, you, your first pass is you boil off everything that's not water. And then you have a liquid that you take off the still. It's called low wines, and it's about 55 proof or so. And it contains everything that was formed during fermentation, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then once you have 500 gallons of that, it goes back into the still for what's called a spirit run. And that's when you, you're doing like actual distillation. You're separating compounds by boiling point. And so you've got your lower boiling point compounds that come off first. That's called the heads. And they smell and taste like a nasty green apple solvent. They're not good. Mm -hmm. um, every distiller tastes heads once, and then you don't need to again. <laughs> right. you, you get a whiff, and nope, I know what's there. Um, and then you, but the next thing to come off is the hearts. That's the good stuff. That's the ethanol. That's the flavor compounds you want in whiskey. Um, and that's a large portion of your of your run. And the last stuff are the it's the higher boiling point compounds called tails. And you include some of those in your run because over time in the barrel, they convert to fruit notes, but that's a different issue. Sure. And so you have, at the end of a run, you have a certain amount of high proof white whiskey. It's clear. Yep. Because uh, all the color comes from the barrel. Um, and so you have high proof shine, basically. And it's about 150, 155 proof. Mm-hmm. You dilute that down with water uh, to barrel proof, which for us is 118. And then you put it in a barrel and you let it age for anywhere, for, for us, anywhere from uh, 16 months to more than four years, depending on the size of the barrel and the type of whiskey mm -hmm. that we're making. And in the barrel is when it takes on color, it takes on more flavor, it uh, develops more character, it, mm -hmm. it uh, does some really fascinating things in the barrel. And then at the end of that aging time, you have your finished product. Mm -hmm. You have your whiskey. So is there, is there any use for... Uh, the first things or the last things you pull off there, I forget the names, but... Oh, the heads and tails? Heads and tails. Is there, like, is there an industrial <laughs> use for those or anything like that? Or, or do they get recycled I think somehow? technically they could be, and it depends on where you're distilling. In Scotland, they get recycled into the next batch. Okay. Um, most American distillers um, dispose of them with their spent mash. Hmm. Yeah. For us, uh, we don't have a lot of livestock around our area, and so our spent mash gets spread back on the field. If we were next to cattle and hog farms, that would go 
straight to the animals. Yeah. Animal feed. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we spread it back on the field as fertilizer, basically. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the mashing process, you've taken out most of the sugars, but left most of the most uh, of the protein proteins yeah yeah so what's left is we have a slurry of it's mainly protein cellulose and water okay yeah. and so not the worst thing for you no i mean it's and it's a good soil amendment where we are too because we have fairly heavy uh, alkaline soils and it's good to add a little bit of acidic uh, stuff and biomass back to the soil gotcha it just looks really redneck when you do it yeah, we got, sure. We got totes on a trailer driving down the field, and you can. But and you, are you spraying it, or no, you can practically hear the banjo in the background. <laughs> but but does your? No, it's just it's just being, being it's just drained out. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Does yeah. your average? And I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this. Uh, Halakian. <laughs> does your average wow. Halakian farmer like really worry that much about looking too redneck out there? Not that no. I mean, I, I just would well, assume. you know, it depends on the farmer. You'd be surprised. Yeah, it's not. The, I, I don't mean that in the sense that, like, all farmers are rednecks. But, like, <laughs> spreading spreading yeah. product out on the field, like, yeah. that's you're supposed to do that. Yeah. You know, and it's if it's not that, it's manure. Yeah, so, right. like. <laughs> right. And so you don't see much of that in our area because hardly anybody has livestock. Oh, there's right. not enough yeah. manure around. It. No, there really sure. isn't. I mean, uh, you know, most of, the, most of the farmers in our area, they're large operations. They're, it's crops and... You know, there's some of the guys out there that when they have their stuff out in the field and when they're parking the trucks, they're lining them up. You know, they're right, sure, very precise. I mean, don't, they use uh, they use uh, septic sometimes or used to anyway, right? I mean, I mm-hmm. think, yeah. So I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like you know, for me, it's like, well, that's just what you're supposed to do: <laughs> is spread spread stuff that is beneficial to the right. soil sure. on the soil. You sure. know? So I'm kind of going on a side thing, but. Uh, so you do this in the town. I mean, how's the response from the town been? It's been great. Yeah, it's I been, would it's think been absolutely so. Great. I mean, people have been really welcoming. They've been they've been so nice about it. Very enthusiastic. Um, there, we have regulars at the cocktail room yep. um, every Saturday, and uh, no, people have been very supportive. It's it's not often that somebody comes back and starts a business. Right, that's right. rare. Yeah, and you know, the, I think. People have really appreciated how rare that is, and they've mm-hmm. been just really supportive. Yeah. And the, do yeah, you do you find? I mean, now I'm thinking, you know, this is a destination too for mm-hmm. that town. I mean, I'd like to drive up there and well, and, and check it out. There's you know? a big difference between what you're doing and and again, I'm not going to give some <laughs> distillers a hard time. Like I, I'm never trying to upset anyone or whatever. But but you're taking it from grain to yeah. finished product. And right there. my understanding is that many of the distillers set up with a they they get the grain neutral or whatever it is alcohol from larger providers who do mm-hmm. all of that part of the work for them. Yep. And then they they distill it one more time in their own still and then uh, put it into barrels to make their own product. That- yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of different ways to 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 do this, right? Yeah. Um, our first three years we made all of our own grain neutral spirit in order to make our gin okay because you need a high proof like 190 plus proof spirit to distill gin you want it very clean and i was making all of it from 100 percent rye and i wasn't getting very much whiskey made and what's common in the industry is for a distiller to buy grain neutral spirit from an ethanol plant distill their gin 
and you know make their gin that way. Okay. But what's more common with whiskey is that they'll buy finished whiskey from say MGP in Indiana and they'll bottle it as as theirs. Oh. That's so they a, don't even run it through a still or right. Okay. Right. It's it's finished when it gets to them. Oh. Mm. Or it's barrel proof. Yeah. When it when it gets to them and they just dilute it oh, a little bit. Oh, they cut it. And, yeah, they cut water. it. Yeah. And that's that's a unfortunately a, a, a an all too common practice. So in that case it's you're you're more or less setting up a, a marketing campaign to, around yeah. you know someone else's. This is you and is that part of the reason like you've received some national accolades and mm-hmm. stuff, you know, yeah. is that part of the reason you think is because you're you've taken the time to sort of do it from start to finish. I think so it's, I think it's a big part of it. Yeah, I would assume um, it is. Cause, well, cause it gives us a lot of control over raw materials. So you have a unique flavor. Yep. If you're bottling the same stuff that bullet or, mm-hmm. you know, or high West or something like that is, that's all coming from MGP. And so if you're bottling the same stuff, there's only so much you can tell people about it. Right, it's there's only, the only so many different flavorants you can put in right. it to make it slightly different. Right, than exactly. Right, and yeah. so and so that definitely helps, and it gives us a, a unique flavor. But the rye that we grow uh, turns out has a very unique flavor profile. Of course, it for does for that variety, yeah. and uh, it's a variety called AC Hazlitt, and it um, I I picked it out um, based on its agronomic characteristics, mm-hmm. and so it was really winter hardy, and it. You know, mm. it, it grows really well where we are. Yeah, would and it pick up different, different, uh, different flavor profile from your soil too? Like, I'm not sure. Like water might in a, you know. Yeah. Just through mineral. I'm not exactly sure. That's probably the next study. I've been I've been studying different varieties of rye, mm-hmm. and you know, to see if there's flavor differences between just based on a different variety. Yep. But what we haven't done yet is the study where we grow the same variety in two different places and see if there's a difference there. Right. I mean, I would just assume that that nutrient levels or alkaline, you know, acidic mm-hmm. levels, something might, yeah. iron content, something might make mm-hmm. it taste a little different. Absolutely. One, yeah. You know. it's, it's certainly possible. Yeah. So you can maybe help me write the next grant. I doubt it. Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you're already well on. How many folks are, are working there right now? So right now I have uh, I have four employees at the distillery mm-hmm. um, with production. Yep. And that's uh, that's the winter crew. Okay. I have we scale up production in the winter time. Um, you scale up? Yeah. Okay. And okay. a couple of reasons. One, there's more of a there's additional help. Mm-hmm. During the winter, because I sure. hire local, a couple local farmers, yep, uh, who help me, and you know they've got some time between December and April. Sure. The other reason is um, during the winter time, all that heat that the equipment produces isn't waste heat, and mm. so you're right. heating the building with what you're doing on the still and the cooker and all that. Okay. During yeah. the summertime, we back off a little bit, but sure, still got to get it done. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's it an does. efficiency to you're going to have to produce yeah. the heat anyway. You might as right. well use it. Right. There's a breweries, you know. There's a lot of people are putting thought into into those aspects of mm-hmm. it, both from a an environmental and just a cost savings. Yeah, you know, sure. We're, we're doing this. Why shouldn't we do it in yeah. a way that's beneficial? Yeah, there's so. a there's a sustainability aspect to it, but it yeah, it just makes uh, economic sense as well. 
I love it. Well, yeah. you too. We have uh, we've managed to blast through. I would say it went yeah. really fast. A uh, a whole half hour here. Let's okay. take a short break, okay. and we'll come back to it. All Great. Right. All right. Today's show is brought to you by the Andalin app, a first-of-its-kind digital legacy preservation app that allows you to digitally attach photos, videos, and audio recordings to the places and objects you love. Imagine hearing your grandmother's voice telling the stories of your family heirlooms. Preserve your memories, prepare for the future, and share with those you love. Andalin, available in the App Store and Google Play. Visit andalin.app for more information. Need some help with a construction project? Looking for thoughtful design and honest answers about what is possible and what is not? Kinetic Design Build is a full-service boutique remodeler servicing residential and commercial clients in the Twin Cities. Design and build with purpose. Visit kineticdesignbuild.com to request a consultation. Packing for a trip? Let Pack Simply give you a little help by delivering travel-safe products directly to your door in an airport security-safe pouch. Unbelievably easy and surprisingly simple. Make your life easier. Visit PackSimply.com. Interested in art? James Holmberg is both an artist and an art consultant. His strong connections in the Minnesota art world give him a unique perspective on the talented pool of artists from our region. Let James guide you to an original work that will come alive in your home. Visit jamesholmberg.com to find out more. All right. Do you want to go on a wilderness adventure with me, Sam? Or maybe you know a group of kids who could benefit from an extended break from their electronics. Or maybe you just need a break from those kids. Visit earthedfound.org for more information about how to get started. For information about becoming a sponsor of Legacy Matters, please visit LegacyMattersPodcast.com. Okay, we're back. So we are back. So how do we pick up where we left off? We were not talking long on the break, but what we were talking about was uh, a couple of different things. We're we're saying that uh, you know, just not not politically, but just in general, uh, I'm a little tired of the uh, of the divide between this side and that side, and rural and urban, and Uh, all that. Mike seems like he's he's tired of that too. And yeah, well, I mean, you can. The, because you've got a GPS in your tractor, right? Um, and you got a, you got big fields up there. Yeah. So I know I know farmers um, in their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, who the tractor drives itself to the other end of the field. Yep. So then you got some time. And <laughs> I know farmers who are regularly on Twitter. I know farmers who read the New York Times in the morning. Absolutely. They you know and you know they're well informed. It's it's not, absolutely it's not like the old days. And so there's more connectivity there than what there used to be, and I think there's there's just not this this divide is not fiction. I think it's it's uh, a tool being used by by people to get yeah. you know politics done really right. a lot of it or to sell things right. or what, you know whatever right. it might I be. I mean, there still are there's economic realities that are present in rural versus urban. Oh, absolutely. I mean, those are those are real, but you know, like in in, in our area. Um, you know, like I was saying during the break, if you're not inheriting a farm, your option for jobs is fairly limited. Yeah. But there's still a lot of stuff that can happen. You can 
it's an easier place to start a business. You know, mm-hmm. you, we didn't have to go through any neighborhood associations to start a distillery. I mean, we we got our license right away from, sure the, local, from the county. That <laughs> yeah. passed very quickly. We had to get approval from the township board, yeah. which consisted of our neighbor, my dad, and another guy down the road. Right, that couldn't have been and too they hard. Had to call around to the township board, and it got done in less than two hours. Yeah. And uh, so we got our cocktail room approval that way. <laughs> and so things happen very quickly. You have just have less hurdles and less people that tell you no. Right. And so they tend to be very easy places to start businesses, lots yep. of incentives. Mm-hmm. And so, like I was telling you guys during the break, I mean, when, when we moved up there, the guy who was the city manager um, had had this dream of starting a brewery. And then when he saw that we came up and started this distillery, he just felt like he had permission and there was this service station that the guys who owned it were going to tear it down it was going to cost them probably 15 grand to tear this building down it was an old 1930s era Mm -hmm. service station and there was a big hole in the roof and it needed work yeah right and they were like well we can't really use it for anything and it you know it's kind of an eyesore and blah 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 and so the guy who was the city manager said well just hang on hear me out what if you sell that to me for a small amount? I'll take it over, fix it up. I'm going to turn it into a brewery. Yep. And the guy said, great. How's about a hundred bucks? Yeah. <laughs> so he bought the building for a hundred bucks yep. and fixed it up, did most of the work himself. Luckily he was really handy yep. and they had a brewery up and running in less than two years. And now they're, <laughs> they're doing really, really well. They make great Is it a, beer. Uh, is it a brew pub or a brewery? It's a brewery, and they have a, a, tap, a room. tap room. It's called Reve- it's called Revelation Ale Works. Okay, and uh, they make fantastic beer. Yeah. Um, the it was the brothers that started it, and they both really knew their stuff in terms of brewing. And they just now they they're one of their biggest problems initially was they couldn't make enough beer. Yeah. Um, they were selling out. Um, they they have taps all over the place. They just have a canning line now, and so they've they've been doing really really well. It's funny. There's there's I, so I many that. of them that are doing really well. Yeah, the mm-hmm. next the little vision I have is uh, places like Halleck need, and it, maybe they already have it, but fiber optic and you know just yeah, just really. Well, I was thinking of a place internet. to stay, spend the night. Mm-hmm. You know, because if I come up there, I mean, you know, a couple <laughs> well, there's hours an Airbnb in. now above the, the coffee it, house, yeah, and that's what it, and that there's was a coffee my, house. Okay, and all she's right. Doing yep. Ethiopian and Kenyan pour over and lattes, and it's. So there's fantastic. an Airbnb up there yep. type thing. Okay, but I want to so. take one of those little buildings and make it into, so that, so that if a kid who understands tech but lives up there mm-hmm. can do work for us remotely and <laughs> yeah. wants to live up there, yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody needs to or nor wants to come and live in the city, but here's the jobs, right? Right. But there's got to be a way to yeah. work well, and remotely. Well, and if you live along uh, Highway 75, you have access to fiber optic. Okay. If you live several miles away from 75 mm-hmm. out on the farm that. now you're looking at line of sight kind of uh, yeah. and that's not satellite but i forget what it's called yeah uh, but it's not as not as fast yeah. but you know you can still get a lot done still pretty fast yeah, yeah. yeah so it's not bad. so mike how was it to find people to carry your product here in the cities like what did that kind of look like for that you guys? was a, a big surprise it, yeah because well because because it happened so fast yeah we were when we launched we were the we we launched our product the same week as Norseman 
Okay. So we were tied for the second mm-hmm. uh, distillery. The first was Panther and Osakis. And then we launched our gin the same week Norseman launched their vodka. And we did a tasting at South Lindale and we sold every bit of gin we had in a couple of hours. It was crazy. Our That's distributor cool. was just laughing. He couldn't believe right. it. And, um, and so when we started, we were the only Minnesota craft gin on the shelf. And then a month later, Vikra launched up yeah. in Duluth. And then we started gaining some critical mass because after that it was Dunord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then now it was a thing and we were being written about and ourselves and Vikra and Dunord were all husband and wife teams. And so there was some press and it just rolled from there. That's and awesome. so it was a great launch. And that was at the end of 2013 in 2014. And by August of 2014, we had gotten a call from a distributor in New York who had seen our bottles on a design blog and asked us if we wanted of course. to sell into New York. Bottles. And so we were like, is this a trick question or what? <laughs> you know? We hadn't even thought about New York, you know? Sure. And, um, and then we had distributors come to us. So. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, you have to be able to distribute enough. You know, it's, it's one of those things where people talk about, you know, when are we going to reach saturation mm-hmm. of these things? And I, who knows? Because they were talking yeah. about that years ago with, breweries Mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem to have happened yeah there was a i think there was a plateau for a while and then it went up again Uh the the number of breweries so yeah and and to be fair not everybody who opened a brewery was making all that great a beer Mm -hmm. you know so eventually and and just like any other business uh maybe they aren't that good at business you know maybe they're Mm not Maybe they're making fine stuff, but they don't understand some of the rest of the aspects yeah. of business. So. Well, and there were some craft spirits that started. Some some distillers were making really good stuff. Not all of them were. Yeah. Um, some of them were making beautiful stuff that the likes of which hadn't been seen since prior to Prohibition. Mm-hmm. Family yeah. recipes, traditional liqueurs. I mean, damp work here in, in the Twin Cities. You uh, probably know is, a lot more about this than we do. He's making fantastic artisan like spirits that are you know unless you're from germany you don't even know about sure and he's it's just beautiful stuff and you see the revival of things like that that's mm-hmm. wonderful who is this again Dampfork. 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 Um, his name's rolf okay he used to work for ecolab as well so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm gonna have to look it up there's an ecolab there's an ecolab pipeline to <laughs> distilling of apparently. course there is um, well these bottles you know the whole packaging and i know we've talked about this but was there some is this the first attempt or did you guys look at a couple other different designs well we spent a lot of time we were working on the design um in we started working on the design in august of 2012 okay so well before we even had a building right before we ever had a distributor, mm-hmm. um, we were working on the on, on what the, the image is, what the yeah. end product. And the like. first thing that Jenny had us do was um, was mood boards mm-hmm. of the personalities of the spirits, yeah, and the sure. stories behind them, right? Because most of our, I mean, this is you know you have Rockter and this is Bodlin mm-hmm. uh, bourbon, but our gin is named Solvay. Okay, our other gin is named Gustav. Um, we had our we went through our branding strategy but what we wanted was we wanted each of the products to have its own personality mm-hmm. with some distinguishing family characteristics basically it's called a house of brands approach okay. and um we wanted each to to be a standalone 
but readily identifiable as coming from far north spirits. Mm -hmm. And so they each have a little story about the name, where it came from, what it means, etc. Is that story on the bottle, sort of? Um, Is it? Bodolin is named after a valley in Norway. Okay. The foot of a glacier. Rockner is actually named after a cousin of mine in Norway, and he spells his name R A G. N-A-R, but they're from a little further west of Mm -hmm. Oslo, and so they they pronounce it Ragnar. Okay. And I didn't want anybody calling my whiskey Ragnar, so I spelled it phonetically, also so that the Minnesota Vikings wouldn't sue me, because Ragnar is their mascot. Okay. And it's trademarked. You don't want to get sued. No, no. (laughs) We're all all friends here, so I didn't didn't want to offend them, so... Uh, so I found it's, uh, and I lived for a while in, in Germany, but it's Dampfwerk. I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. Um, cool. Yeah. Not to, not to look at other people's stuff, but this looks really good too. I love that oh, we've got great. these. Yeah. I love that we've got these opportunities for people to build these businesses. You want as craft distillers, you want other craft distillers making really good stuff. Absolutely. Cause you want the reputation for craft distilled products to be positive. Yep. And so I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's uh, changing, I would say. We're making nice stuff here in Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think anytime, you know, obviously, anytime you're going to, in these industries, some people are going to make it and some people aren't. That's mm-hmm. just the way it works. Yeah. And uh, Well, and there's already two of us who are growing our own grain. Uh, yeah. There's Rock Filter down in Spring Grove, Minnesota. Okay, we're so the, they're the we're only the two, other one. We're the two farm distilleries. Okay. We're at opposite corners of the state. Yep. As extreme opposite as you can get. Because right. Spring Grove is right down on the Iowa border. Yeah. Um, and Christian's making, you know, he grows his own. He specializes in corn. Uh, okay. Because he's more in corn country. But, uh, yeah, he grows his own grain, and he makes great stuff. So we might do some collaborative. Which one's that? Now I gotta look that one up. Rock filter. <laughs> Rock filter. Here I am advertising for everybody. No, it's good. Well, it's actually, good. I want to ask you, Mike. Like, how would you describe the taste as far as some of your, you know, like the whiskey and the rye? Like, is it is it really smooth or does it yeah, have a little what, bit of a? What the uh, what the common when when whiskey writers write about our our rye whiskeys, they're they're usually talking about a a round vanilla note. Mm-hmm. They're talking about um, caramel and toffee and brown sugar, uh, lingering finish, smooth finish. And that's with your rye? With, yes, with the mm-hmm. rye whiskey, with hints of, like, some of them use the, the phrase warm baking spices mm-hmm. on the palate. Um, that and, sounds um, pretty tasty. <laughs> that's what I'm wondering. Nice. You know, because because I'm just my mouth is watering over here. But, but I like but, 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 you know, some people don't here. know either the difference between rye and whiskey. Yeah. You know? Well and or and, bourbon and whiskey. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it, Well, rye and bourbon are both whiskeys. Yeah. Um and all all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. Mm-hmm. Um, bourbon in the U.S. just means um, it's made from at least 51% corn in the mash bill, and it's been aged in new charred oak. And if you're a distiller in Kentucky, they'd probably tell you it has to be made in Kentucky. It right. doesn't, but they'll always say that. Um, well, in order to be Kentucky bourbon, it does. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, this is like, uh, right. like champagne or cognac yeah, needs to be made in cognac, right. France, or whatever. But you just know? bourbon is. Bourbon, is, 50 it's okay states. to make bourbon mm-hmm. within the U.S. Everywhere. Can you make it anywhere else in the world? 
and you color know, bourbon? I'm not sure about that. Right. Like, I don't think... Because these things are pretty it, heavily protected. Well, because bourbon is a U.S. designation. Yeah. Um, and so I haven't seen an imported bourbon before. I think it might have to be a U.S. thing, but I'm not sure of the regulation there. Like, scotch, you can only make in Scotland. Right. And right? so Suntory mm-hmm. is whiskey. Yes. It can, so whiskey is whiskey. I mean, yeah. that's the overarching well, Suntory is Suntory is whiskey with a SKY. Which is what this how the Scotch distillers spell it. Right. And they're they're intending to rye be whiskey Scotch. and rye whiskey and bourbon is S K E Y. There's a sub okay. designation there. Yeah. Rye whiskey is simply whiskey made from at least fifty one percent rye and aged in new charred oak. Yeah. And so there's there's categorical designations that the US puts out there. Yeah. Um, there's different standards in Canada, different standards in Scotland, Ireland, Japan. Taiwan. I mean, there's there's whiskey made all over the place, but there's there's different designations for it in their home countries. Sure. Yeah, yeah and it gets a little sticky. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's uh, describe the whiskey now part of the tape. So what I was describing <laughs> bottle, earlier the is, other is, the, is the rye no. whiskey. Now the bourbon. Bourbon is this is a, a bourbon whiskey, and this is um, a, what's called a high rye bourbon, mm-hmm. so that it has a higher proportion of rye in the mash bill. It's still a majority corn. And that's what designates it as bourbon, is just the proportion of corn. So it's 60% corn, 30% rye, 10% malt barley. And the flavors here are more, I would say there's a, there's a sweetness um, to it that is more, um, I would say, lends more towards caramel. Um, but there's, a, there's still some toffee there, but there's a, there's a corn sweetness that's kind of its own thing that bourbon drinkers will always recognize mm-hmm. um that's i think primarily the difference between the two you still get some of the the finish notes from the from the rye and the mash bill um but um yeah that's primarily the difference there yeah there there we go and what's the, what's the other <laughs> bottle now that you have here? this little one yeah so this is this is part of our research project we call okay. we're calling this our seed vault series and this is the crop research study that I did um, that I'm going to be publishing very soon is that I grew 15 different varieties of rye Hmm. over the course of three years. I grew them in one acre test plots, uh, milled, mashed, fermented, and distilled them individually, and then put the white distillate in front of as many noses and palates as I could and had them fill out a questionnaire, like a survey. And the idea is, was to establish whether or not you could identify statistically significant differences in flavor between different varieties of rye because rye is a commodity grain right but there's many many different varieties of Of rye just like with grapes or tomatoes they're right so they're all grapes they're all tomatoes but there's a lot of different varieties do they have like sommeliers for for whiskey and stuff like that like do they have people who can who reliably can tell you where it's from and what the mm. mix is and all that? There are, there are many who would claim to. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm not sure that they've ever been tested. Um, but there's a lot of whiskey enthusiasts that will, they can get pretty accurate. Yeah. There's nothing like a blind tasting to humble you. Right. You know, right. like you can make bold claims. Somebody puts a blindfold on. <laughs> they you fail miserably. Now you're, now you're in the deep ocean. But... Um, <laughs> But with uh, with the rye varieties, um, 
I didn't think I, I did the research here and I couldn't find anybody who had done this before. So I think this is a first of its kind study. Or if it's been done, it's been done by one of the big distilling houses in Kentucky and they're not publishing it. Sure, it's proprietary okay. company information. Right? So um, when I started this, I started it mainly because I got a call from a farmer in Maine who was looking for Hazlitt, the variety that I grow. Okay. And he was growing for distillers in New England, and he was looking for that flavor profile. And, and I talked to him for a little bit. I sold him some seed. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. I thought it was the same. You know, I thought rye was rye, right? Right. And of so, course it's not, though, right? I mean, wouldn't, well, it, wouldn't you assume this is going to be a little different? there's going to be some differences. Yeah. And so I thought somebody would have done the research. Sure. And turns out there was nothing out there. And so I wrote a grant for the Minnesota Department of Ag, and we got it. And um, together with a small grain specialist from the U of M, uh, we started this research project. So we grew 15 different varieties of rye. We distilled them. We put the white distillate in front of all those noses and palates, and we got statistically significant differences between the varieties. Sure. turns out there are real differences between them based on just variety alone. So when we did that, we took our excess distillate and put it in barrels. Thinking, my thinking was, is that, okay, we saw subtle differences in the white distillate. But when you put it in a barrel, that's probably going to erase the differences and you're going to get a similar tasting whiskey out of these barrels just because of the massive contribution that barrel aging gives you to whiskey. Um, And then we cracked a few open and (laughs) threw that hypothesis out the window. Because now they're different. Because now they're, if anything, the barrel amplified the differences between them. The one I brought you guys here is, and this is called Oakland. Mm -hmm. It's a variety from Oklahoma. Uh, I think back in the, it was launched back in the 80s, I think. So it's an older variety and uh, didn't grow very well up in our area because it was bred in Oklahoma. It's for, yep. it's for there. Yep. But when we distilled it, the white distillate wasn't very popular. It didn't score very well. Um, didn't taste very good, I didn't think. We put it in a barrel and we opened the barrel and I had a couple assistant distillers that we opened it, we tasted it, and we were like, who the hell put scotch in this barrel? somehow during that time in the barrel, it morphed into this really interesting whiskey that has kind of reminiscent of like a, a Highland Speyside, you know, lightly, lightly peated scotch. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so it was, it just turned into this really interesting thing. And every single one of the varieties had very distinct personality coming out of the barrel that we didn't see coming mm-hmm. we thought they they'd like, all taste the same are they like children at that point to you where, where you're like <laughs> even though I, even yeah. though you're not the prettiest child i've got i still love you <laughs> i can't help but love each and every one of you <laughs> people have people ask me that you know but we got this you know portfolio of you know rye vodka we've got two different styles of gin we've got four different expressions of rye whiskey we've got a bourbon we've got three different rums yep because you got to make rum. Well, do you, have, do you make not? it with sugar beets? N- no, and <laughs> you can't. That's didn't the, someone make someone made a beet rum? Well, they, they've you can you can make or beet vodka actually. Yeah, that's a whole different deal. Yeah, 
Um, vodka you can make from beet sugar. Okay, rum's got to be made from sugar cane. Rum right? has to be made from sugar cane yeah. per federal rate. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so I make mine from turbinado and demerara sugar. Sure. Um, my last corporate job with Ecolab had me in the Caribbean and Central America quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So I learned a lot about rum, and I found that I liked rums from Guyana and Trinidad. Oh, yeah. And that's Demerara rum, and so that's my rums are like an homage to that, basically. It doesn't fit with our field-to-glass story at all, but I was like... Well, well there's a field somewhere. Yeah, but I was like, <laughs> well, you know, we've got, a, we've got a distillery now, and I like rum, so screw it. I'm going to make rum. Yeah. Why not? So I do. So I make a spiced I mean, rum, an aged rum, and a white rum. <laughs> so it gives me a second use for my rye barrels. I can age rum. I don't in my think barrels. I realize just how expansive this whole—you know—what you, what you guys are really doing up there. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's quite a bit of stuff. I mean, yeah. And so we, you know, we make all these different things, and then people ask me what's my favorite, and it's kind of right. like saying, "Well, who's your favorite kid?" Yeah. Well, he yeah, has so, one, but you, but you, you his favorite have, kid, but you kind of have a favorite kid. Yeah, you do. And so, and for me, it's. This it's guy. that guy. It's yeah. this. Okay, we, we want we want just like in my family, no one actually knows. I don't ever I don't ever let them, I don't <laughs> ever let you them say it all the time. That. You tell I don't them, ever, you tell everybody. No, I don't ever tell is. the two boys that their little sister is by far my favorite. I don't I don't let them know that. That would be cruel. Don't you think they know at this oh, point? Oh no, they would never guess. <laughs> <laughs> They're therapists. They don't even care right yeah, now. No, They're no. like whatever. She's Dad. their favorite too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really like I like what the Sauterne cask did with mm-hmm. this rye whiskey. So this was aged in new charred oak barrels from Avon, Minnesota. All my barrels come from Minnesota, by the way. Okay. Uh, Avon and Park Rapids. Avon uh, is the barrel mill, Park Rapids is Black Swan. And that's a Coopery or yep, whatever that's called? that's a Cooperage. Cooperage? Yep. And uh, so we still have Cooperages here. Yeah. 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 And, and they're cutting the lumber in Minnesota and making it out of... You know, Minnesota. describe some what the, that is. Some of the barrels from, from Black Swan actually are marked with an MN, and that means the trees came from Minnesota. Okay. Oh, okay. And they're, both Cooperages make beautiful barrels. They sell them all over the, all across the country, and they're world-class. Okay, so Cooperage is, is a place Cooperage that, is a barrel maker. Yeah, right. So if you know anybody with the last name Cooper, um, oh, sure. that was a trade name. And so somebody in their family made barrels at some point. Huh. So Bauer is farmer and... <laughs> right, No, it is. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, what are the other ones? There's Miller. You know, there's mm-hmm. other things that... This, this was your livelihood, sure. therefore that became your last name. Right. right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, just like Roger the Shrubber. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the 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 Cooper's Cooperage is where they make the barrels, and they ha- it's a whole art form in and of itself. Where they bend the staves, they assemble the barrels, they toast the inside, they char the inside. They, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's fantastic. yeah, it's an old world technology. It's really. very old school. Not, not much has changed. No, it really hasn't. Have to. Well, be that's interesting though. Like mm-hmm. that's how the color comes too. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's... and you know, when you put your as a distiller, I mean, it's kind of humbling to see how much impact your Cooper has on the way your whiskey tastes. Right. You know, because I mean, an important distinction to make. But I would when say. you grow up on a farm, you're kind of used to that. Like you put a seed in the ground and hope it rains. Mm-hmm. Right? You put your whiskey in a barrel and you hope your Cooper was on the on the ball that day. Right. And um, and I'm just really glad that we have Coopers here in Minnesota because. You get great barrels from not that far away. Yep. 
it works well. Yep, and having a, a good one, I'm sure that that the quality of the cooperage has something to do with the quality of the end product. Yeah, in a way that right. it yeah. does. Yeah, and I, and not does. everybody drinking whiskey is going to think of that. So, I mean, really, that's sort of controlling your product line from start to finish. You're, yep. you're growing on your land. Yeah, you're uh, selecting different grains that you want to try and, mm-hmm. and checking the quality of that and then you're able to source barrels from someone yeah who doesn't you know and it's the conditions of aging too like if um if you were to fill 12 barrels off of my still and put them in 12 different places in the country you'd have 12 different whiskeys right because the ambient conditions the barrels are breathing when they're aging and so the ambient conditions really make an impact on what happens with that whiskey so and and can you just build like i you know i assume you have kind of a climate controlled warehouse where these things no nope uh, my my aging room isn't isn't insulated and it's not heated okay so they're they're cold in the winter they're cold in the winter they're hot in the summer okay and that um, doesn't doesn't affect it it actually adds to the depth of character because the barrels expand and contract with temperature sure um which gives you more interaction between whiskey and wood Mm -hmm. but we also see i mean we have a really extreme climate up there and so we'll see 130 degree difference between january and august in march we sometimes will see a 50 degree difference in less than 24 hours right and but also we have changes in humidity we go anywhere from 30 percent up to 80 plus mm-hmm. and the change in humidity changes the composition of the stuff that's evaporating off that's called of angel share and so all that variability means that you have a very good balance to your angel share when our startup consultant when dave was working with me um you know i, I we laid out the floor plan and uh and i asked him you know what kind of climate control mm-hmm. system do i need for my aging room and he said none he said you're not even going to insulate that room and i said Mm. you're out of your goddamn mind i said you're obviously from kentucky you don't know how cold it gets up here and (laughs) he said no he said your barrel proof is going to freeze at about minus 66 he said is it going to get that cold right and i said well if it does we're leaving (laughs) yeah (laughs) he said well almost (laughs) yeah but he said he said mike he said think about it he said there's there's a reason they make crown royal three hours north of you right he said it's a good place to age rye whiskey Sure. So, turns out the godforsaken climate is good for something. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's cold, a good place to cold climate works. I read something years ago about uh, kind of cheating the process by by using sound waves, mm. sort of sonic. Yeah, aging. somebody's always working on something. Yeah, you guys don't have anyone uh, singing to your barrels. <laughs> no, no. Like <laughs> I've thought about playing the music. You know, you get pretty attached to them. You well, know, it's but. like the plants in the house. You know, right. they, they do better if you sing to them. Yeah, yeah. Evidently, there's something with the uh, sonic with sound aging, waves sonic yeah. going through the barrel. I know, I know distillers who legit play. They have a sound system in their barrel room, and they play. Uh, some of them play hip hop. Some it's classical. No shit. Yeah, no shit. They're, so there is something. They're looking to for it. bass, you know. And right. stuff looked at me and, like I was nuts. No, well, it's, I, that's it's I kind of did, but it's then dumb. I was like, well, what the hell do I? What do I know? Last right? time I was last time I was up at Vikra, he was playing hip hop in the barrel. God, that's no I shit. love it. Well, it makes it a little different. Yep. Who knows? Who knows yep. what it actually yeah, is? So, funny. do you have events too up there? We do. Um, we have a whiskey fest event the second weekend in november okay um, so we just missed it sam yep sam and i just missed it we our cocktail everything. room is open on saturdays mm-hmm. we're open one and, day and a week in 
One five day a week? Half, okay. Five mm-hmm. and a half, six short hours of driving, we can be up there to... <laughs> I mean, that's a crawl, <laughs> right? Yeah, but we'll you know, the surprising to. thing is, is we have, we regularly have people from yep. here in the cities. Um, we draw people that. from Winnipeg, Grand Forks, Fargo, yep. you mm-hmm. know, all over. Right. And it's usually people, a lot of times it's people who have a connection to the area. Mm-hmm. So yep. they maybe still have family up there. Yeah. But not all the time. I mean, your place, I, looking on your site, I mean, it's a beautiful designed place. Oh, thank you. It really is. I mean, just as good. I mean, the packaging ma- mm-hmm. matches. It's very well done. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. Now, the I cocktail room, that's all Sherry. Yeah. That's her design sense. So yeah. It's really mid-century modern, yeah. modern Scandinavian. She loves that design Super cool. So very cool. That's all her baby. All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, well why, do, why do I feel like, uh, I mean, for me, this was, it was tons of fun talking whiskey. And, and you wondered, you asked me during the break, like, am I getting too technical? Should we talk about <laughs> other things? And I feel like yeah. in a certain way, we did miss the opportunity to just to get to know you. And mm, like, I was like, thinking whoop. the same thing. Yeah, but like, but I'm you? so interested yeah. in this, you well, know, and in, in what you do, you know? Yeah, and you're knowledgeable mm. about it. And it's fun. It, it is fun. I think it just it means we're going to have to do a second show. And I think the second show... We should I know what up. you're thinking. <laughs> we should. Yeah. We should head up there and hit a couple of the different things that are going on It'd in the fun. area mm-hmm. and spend a night. Yeah. Whatever. Sarah's not going to go for that. But The Airbnb is called the Scandinavia. That, see, we should, we should do <laughs> say, say no more, Mike. We're I there. I don't know we're when in. we're going to find time to do it. But yeah. uh, It'd be fun, though. It, yeah. it would be fun. And we, are, you know, we can definitely take it on the road. But I could see, I could see getting a few, few different things. Well, there's a, in that I mean, that's area. what's cool. There's, well, there's a lot happening in these towns. There's a wine bar. Um, oh, there's the, more still? There's a, across the alley from the Airbnb coffee yep. house. They're in the old hardware store building. Sure. They, uh, two couples built a wine bar. Yep. And it's fantastic. So you got you, got you, you got the wine bar, the beer, the you got a coffee shop. Is mm-hmm. is there a hardware store in town still? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I've been yep. I've been yeah. to Halleck. That, yeah. That's yep. There's not much more than that building <laughs> building wise. Well, that pretty much I mean, I got to well, say this is a town of 981 people. And so. and you've got they're I spread mean, out. Yeah. That sounds awesome. This sounds like my kind of town. It's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, people will come and they 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 call it they do like the circuit. And we had a passport right. program we've seen us, the brewery, the wine bar, and the Eagles. Yeah. And people get stamps and stuff, and we do it. Nobody tells you no, so you can do anything you want. You know, it's <laughs> Holy shit, you, you know, guys. I talked, to an archi- I, mean- I talked to an architect who I told him that our county decided many years ago that they weren't going to enforce state building code. Right. They weren't going to accept or enforce state no building code. No one knows code. that. And this architect was like, holy shit, that's like a dream. He's like, you can do anything you want, you know. Um, but no, the, so the wine bar, they got in con- They wanted to do this, and they got in contact with a wine importer here in Minneapolis who is married to a girl from Strandquist, which is just down the road, okay. 59, tiny little town. Of course. And he's a Francophile, and he lived in France, and he worked at a vineyard in France, and he really knows his stuff. And so... I kid you not, the, their wine list, it's the best wine list between Winnipeg and Minneapolis. I'm not kidding. And they get is. they get all their cheese from Redhead Creamery in southern Minnesota. Okay. And they so they have cheese boards and this great wine list, and it's, it's fabulous. 
I yeah, love Minnesota. We're coming up. I love Minnesota. <laughs> it's a great Seriously, spot. what yeah. a great state. Yeah. And I and I love to hear about uh these small communities. I mean, I was there 25, 30 years ago. Okay. Roughly. That's yep. a long time That's ago. That's right. It's somewhere between 25 yeah. and 30 years ago. Yeah. And it was a it was a very economically depressed, nearly nearly collapsed looking community at that time. There were yeah. farmers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there was enough enough around to sort of support the fact that people lived there, but but business-wise in the downtown area, mm-hmm. it, it was that it was dead. Yep. Mm-hmm. So to see them coming back is really something yeah. that we but we need great. our rural communities, and it just means we have to find different uses for those spaces. Yeah. So. Well, and we have we have um, you know larger towns, small cities um, to the south of us, and you know I've talked to like the CEO of Digikey, and he talks about Thief River Falls, and it's ten times the size, mm-hmm. and he's like what the hell are you guys doing? He's like, we don't have any of that stuff in Thief River. What are you guys doing up there? Right. And we're like, well, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Maybe we'll tell you, maybe we won't. You know? Maybe it's our little secret. Um, but, all right. So before we, uh, before we call it a show, uh, what, where can people find your products? Your, your products? How do they so, learn about you? So and if there's anything else. On yeah. our website, farnorthspirits.com, there is a purchase page. Okay. And you can see, uh, you know, you can you can just plug your location into a map, and it'll tell you the closest places around you that carry our products. Yep. Um, the metro is pretty well represented. I'm sure uh, we're in most places mm-hmm. here. Um, Certix is a big customer of ours. Um, you know, you got Haskell's, Total, all the, yep. and a, a, a hundred great small shops as well i know that it's in my little store mcdonald's liquor in france south 44 mm-hmm. i believe you're france over there too yep. excellent customer france 44 yep. south lindale the little wine shop in st anthony awesome. solovino in st paul we're all over the place yep um and uh you can get a a rockner manhattan at manny's okay the the manny's manhattan is made with rockner Nice. I used to work for Parasol. It's, it's, it's a nice, it's a tiny little Manhattan. It's only eight ounces. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can get a you can get a Manhattan as big as your head, um, <laughs> along with your car battery size steak. Right. Yep. yep. So uh, so yeah, that's just a an example of where we are. So awesome. Great. And if you're in New York, Chicago, D.C., Atlanta, Denver, San Francisco, you can these are other markets you're in, mm-hmm. along with Wisconsin. Awesome. So oh, yeah, they cool. let you in in Wisconsin. Oh, Scani yep. too. Oh, we're huh? in this. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> okay. Scani <laughs> pops up everywhere. I'm trying to figure out the quickest way to make fun of Wisconsin. Yeah, like, I don't I, know. <laughs> I can't. I can't right now. Remember, I split my time between here yep. and Madison. Yep. So I love Wisconsin, but man, Madison's if could, great. If I could have got a little dig in there, I would have. But yeah. I, you know, like something along the lines of, you mean they drink fancy stuff there? And yep. And so every bit of liquor that you send over to Wisconsin is being made into an old fashioned. I assume as well, because that's <laughs> probably yeah, right. That's the only thing yeah. they drink there. No, I went to college with a guy. I had a college buddy of mine from Ellsworth, and he's a great guy except on game day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Packers fans will turn on you. I know. I, <laughs> they all do. I lived over in Wisconsin. They, they get all violently angry with mm-hmm. you. Oh, the they Vikings turn into different people when the yeah. Packers plan. Yeah, yep. totally. Uh, well, Mike <laughs> Swanson of Far North Spirits, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, Absolutely. thank My you. Pleasure. Real pleasure. And uh, we'll make we'll make sure we follow up on this and do do something oh, else. Oh, so we we're excellent. following up. <laughs> I probably need to talk to Sherry. <laughs> 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 All right, take All right care. thanks, thanks, guys. Bye.
right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We love comments and feedback, so go ahead and let us have it. If you'd like to learn more about Andalin and other legacy projects, visit the website at andalin.app or kineticlegacy.us. Take care.